Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host Kevin Appleby and today for the second time in 3 weeks we're going all the way back to Seattle. So here with me today is Scott Bly. Scott, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, how are you today? Very good here in the UK, but Scott, you're in Seattle. A couple of weeks ago we talked to Chris Rowling who was CFO at a fairly fast growing startup CoinMe. I think you're at the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes, we are our company is been around for 25 years and we are a family-owned business, been in the marketplace for a long time and more of a boutique firm in the industry. Yes. Yeah. So as a CFO of that sort of organization, what does that have you doing? Uh, one of the things I love about small businesses is that you do everything, right? Last week was a big strategy session. We were talking about the challenges for 2023, the opportunities for 2023. But small business CFOs do everything from you know posting AP sometimes to running strategy sessions. So that's one of the things I love about it. So yeah. It's always interesting. You sound much like me that you love doing all sorts of things. You love variety. I do. Yeah, I, I get bored far too easily. So I, I love having a huge range of things. But strategy is certainly one of my things. And as listeners will know, in GrowCFO, I tend to run all things strategy, strategy boot camps and so on. So it'd be great to delve into that area as we yes. chat today. Yeah. but Yeah. Yes, I would love that. So, Scott, how, how did you get to the position you're in today? Tell us a little bit about your background. That's a great question. I took the more traditional route. I was in accounting and university, found a you know a staff accountant job when I moved out to Seattle, and then slowly climbed up the ladder through accounting, staff accountant, senior accountant, controller, and then CFO. I always had the goal of, of being on the top rung, being a leader. When I was younger in sports, I was always gravitated to those leadership roles. And so just gravitating towards the, the top position in accounting and finance was, was something that just seemed natural to me. Lucky enough to, to have accomplished that mission for me. So if you're talking to somebody that's on that journey at the moment, what advice would you give them? You know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, you know, make sure you, you're, you're getting all the accounting and finance done and learning everything you can about that. I don't think that's really the, the advice I give. I'd be focused on the non-accounting side, like more of the personal side. You know, develop those relationships throughout the organization by seeking out people and asking how you can help. I find that operational people are much more interested in working with our teams. If, if you go out and reach out to them and say, hey, how can I help? How can I make your life easier? And if you develop those relationships early, that'll help you develop your personality a little bit more and develop your ability to work across the organization more quickly. And that'll help you grow faster. Not just if you just keep your head down and do all the finance and accounting work, it's going to be harder to grow in the organization. Yeah, I, I think I'd very definitely second all of that. And Funnily enough, when we look at what we do in the business partnering bootcamp, 
it is certainly the only a couple of weeks ago i was in in workshop one on that particular event and that's what it's all about it's all about forming relationships all about getting to know the other people all about saying how can i help you yeah i think one of the big things i picked up on that particular session was don't try and recommend things to them give them options yes yeah yes no one wants them somebody else to come into their area of expertise and tell them what to do yeah you want to understand what they're doing and and how you can help from finance and accounting side because I certainly can't walk into an operations meeting and understand everything that's going on. And I've been doing it for a long time. Mm. So I think it's, oh, that's a great piece of advice, Kevin. Yeah. So yeah. taking that way of, of working, Scott, how do we start applying that to the CFO's role when it comes to strategy? Well, you know, it really depends on the organization where they're at and where partners are at. I, first, I always say that in in my role, everyone's my customer. Yeah, uh, everyone is. And so, in preparing for a strategy session that we had last week, it was it was talking to the, our director of operations, who I partner with on a daily basis anyway. So we were working to identify all the challenges we had. We, we kind of knew them, but it was the, how do we articulate them into the group session and how do we get members of the of the group to speak? Because a lot of times you have these meetings and it's just one or two people talking. So it was like, no, we want, we want a dialogue. We don't want people to, to sit on their hands. We want them to contribute. And so it was under, trying to understand individual personalities were and how to bring out their opinions in a manner that they felt comfortable in. So it's really like we were talking about earlier, is just understanding the people at the table and how to just really get them to contribute in a way that will help the organization and, and make them feel good about what they're contributing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I guess somewhere in there, Scott, values comes into it. Yes. Values of individuals and values of the organization. Yes. And one of the things that attracted me to your organization is we share a lot of similar values. The value of helping somebody, right? Whether it's somebody in accounting and finance or it's somebody in operations or marketing or IT or legal is how, how can we, we help? To me, that's, that's my core value in, in my career is that how to help somebody. Right. Yeah. You know, and that also extends to to customers and vendors as well. How do we help them? Um, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people in my position make the mistake of looking at vendors as vendors, and maybe your your IT provider is a vendor, but you really want partners. I always tell people who we work with, I don't want vendorships. I want partnerships. So, it's how can we help each other be successful? Yeah. So. When when you're forming a partnership like that, on a and partnerships to me are strategic, they're long term. But can a partnership work if you don't share values with a partner? I don't think so. Right? I mean, it's it's tougher. I mean, you can have a have a short term relationship, and that those can be fine. But if you want a really long term relationship with a partner, you you need to share the values. I I, I don't think. Then it becomes just more of a transactional relationship over time, which there are places for that in, in business. 
But I feel like if you want to be really successful, you need to align yourself with people who have the same values. I think at, at our core, I think every human being feels that way. It's just sometimes you don't connect with people who, who articulate it very well or who or make it a, a priority in the conversations. I try to make it a priority in all my conversations. It's, you know, how can I help you? And this is who, who I'm about. And this is what I w- would like out of the relationship, you know. Do you share the same? And I feel like once you break that ice, it's easier for people to be like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's, of course, I prefer that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So thinking about the company and possibly the the owners or the the top tier of the company, let's say, not just the owners, and the, the value set must start with those people. So how would you go about sort of distilling what the values of an organization are? Well, you kind of hit on another one of my passions, right? I'm very passionate about helping small business owners articulate those values and into a vision. Because a lot of times, small business owners have started the company and they've done everything. And they yeah. you know, pour their, their soul into the organization. And one of the last things they do is hire someone like us because of the cost or, you know, it's just the last thing they think about sometimes. And so one of the things I think CFOs can can add is that holistic vision, right? Because we touch everything. And so people in our position can really sit down with owners and just take the time to get to know them and, and see what they're about and then help them take, okay, well, I started this company because I was just good at it or I saw an opportunity. Well, okay, that's great. But really, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to make sure you're a great place to work? Or do you want to sell the company eventually or another option? More often than not, I find the owners that I work with, they're like, well, I want to, I want to take care of my employees. Right. And I'm like, that's great. All right. So there's a lot of ways we can do that. And as you know, Kevin, like one of the biggest struggles with that is it's compensation. You yeah. know, how do you truly compensate your team to make sure that you're happy while making sure that you have profitability? Mm. How do you accomplish that is really depends on the ownership, right? Where they want to want to take it. You know, I've been fortunate with the owners that I've worked with that they've given me the bandwidth and the support to kind of run with whatever we decide. I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. So I'm thinking about strategy and where I'd be going in maybe one of our bootcamp workshops on strategy. I'd, I'd certainly be trying to run a session on values right at the beginning, because I'd want to get very early on to get people thinking about probably three objectives. There's usually, to my way of thinking, well, there's something about growth, profitability. Where do you want to take the company? Okay. Founder has put this together. What do you want to do in five years' time? Are you wanting to exit this business? Are you want to sell it for a certain amount of money? Whatever. So what sort of growth do we have to put into this strategy as we go forward? But you can just go grow a business. There are many ways of doing that. So second one is to say, well, okay, people, what do you want to do with with people? As you say, be a great employer would possibly be something that comes up there. So I'd be thinking what do you really mean by that? What is a great employer? How are we going to measure it? How are we going to say that? And I think 
You touched on compensation. I think that's only part of it. A very small um, part. I mean, I've got a view on a very firm view on compensation, and a lot of it comes from some of Daniel Pink's work that you know, money doesn't motivate people, but lack of money sure demotivates them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's very well said. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of take a view that says you have to pay people sufficiently well to take money off the table as an issue. Mm-hmm. Now, once you've done that, work out how you make this place a great place to work. What are your other values around people? Yeah, and I think what I take to that is giving them a voice. I think, and then actually listening to that voice, not just saying, okay, yeah, you have an idea. It's like, no, I think your team, they're the ones who are usually on the front lines of everything. They have, they're seeing it real time. Mm-hmm. And so their idea, I mean, get them to share those ideas and, and actually run with them. I think that really helps a voice. Once you get past the compensation, it said giving them a voice, giving them that respect. I think that's key as well. Yeah. I, I always remember my days working back in Coopers and Librand just as it became PwC. And we had this Coopers culture that was, if you're on a consulting project, everybody on the project had a valid opinion whether you're the most senior person or the most junior person on the team, and you had a, a right to raise your point, you had your, a right to be heard, and when somebody else was raising a point, you had the right to comment on it, no matter where you were on the team. Hmm. I think I like that, is, that. that is just so, so valuable that, that yeah. everybody comes at this, that things from a, a slightly different angle. And if you don't pick up the diversity of views, then you miss something. Thanks for bringing that up. I mean, that's really key for me. Like having the device diversity of views is is really important, and having people from different backgrounds yeah. is really important. I always like to say that if I hired a bunch of me's, it'd be really boring. Yeah, definitely. Right? I want people who grown up differently in different places and different situations because I don't have the, the corner on the market of how to run a company. Mm. so that thanks for bringing that up that's really i mean i think that's an important part of values right that representation yeah and i think you can you can stretch that further be very careful as a leadership team you may all have a bunch of very similar values but you know if you are say three white males in your mid-40s running this company you will have a natural bias, mm-hmm. whether or not you recognize it when you're hiring employee number four to hire a clone of the first three. Right. Yeah. And another thanks for another segue in your mind is I, I think, at least in the States, the bulk of the graduates in accounting are, are women. And yet, the higher you go, women aren't represented and the executive team. And, yeah, I recorded early on. There's a podcast I recorded with uh, David B. Horn. It was actually all about his book that was Add Then Multiply. But we went beyond talking David about David's book, which is all about buying organizations, integrating them, selling them again as his role as a CFO. 
and into one of his passions. And one of his big passions was equality for female founders. Mm. And actually, David's just published a second book, which is all about female founders, or women founders, I should say. And David gave me some shocking statistics about the number of all women business teams going for funding that didn't get it compared to all male or even compared to mixed male-female teams. He also looked at similar things around uh, other ethnic minorities. Yeah. Compared number of pitch decks going forward versus number that actually get funding, there were very definite inequalities happening. Certainly one of the main things that David put some of it down to was that bias of the, the funders to be looking for more people that are like themselves. Yeah. Shame. Fascinating, fascinating area. And certainly the core of my value set is that gender, race, religion, whatever, should not be a barrier to anything. Everybody totally should. agree. Yeah. 100% agree with it's that. It's to be there as a major value. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I struggle with, but I really want to change, is how do we get more people of color into our field? I really think that would be a great move forward in talking what we said about earlier. I don't want a bunch of me's, somebody who's had a different background. And I welcome any input from anybody on how, how to move that initiative forward. I would talk to anyone about that because I feel like as leaders, as finance leaders, we need to do a better job with that. And hmm. uh, I really want to do a better job with that. And so, yeah, I want anyone we, listening. We, we can start seeing how getting values clear is starting to influence our, our strategic choices because we start off saying it's just about profit, it's just about growth. Well, there are a whole load of strategies available to us. If we now say it's, well, it's about having the, the right sort of people around us, it's having the right reward system, it's having the right diversity mm-hmm. and so on, we can start saying, well, actually, now we've, we've complicated this a bit because we've got to have strategy to do that alongside the growth strategy. Yeah. And I guess a third leg of this is values towards customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. We, we've gone up a little bit. I think I was wondering what your third one was. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I think for one of the things I love about my current organization is the transparency. One of the things that the owners did straight away was to instill transparency in everything they do with their customers. Yeah. I think that's really helped them be as successful as they are today. And it really, that's one of the values that align quickly with them on is, is that is transparency. It's, it's not to, to hide things. And we talk about that a lot because our competition will sometimes hide fees and things. And that's just not us. Mm. And sometimes it, it's to our detriment. But that's a value that the company holds. And I, I'm very proud of it. So I think customers respect that. I I think so. And particularly in small business field, being honest with your customer is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen far too many businesses try to tell the customer what they think the customer wants to hear rather than the truth. Yeah, And I don't think that does anybody any favors. And and exactly. Yeah, an, an example of that, um, daughter 
ended up having having to have a house rewired about 18 months ago. So with it, they spent six months living back with us with small child, which was interesting. But yeah. they, whenever we're talking to the electrician, oh, when's it going to be finished? When's it going to be finished? He's constantly giving dates that he thinks they want to hear. Yeah. Not the date that he's realistically actually going to do the work. Right. And yeah. get, keep the customer happy like that. No, customer gets very annoyed when customer thinks, uh, well, you told me two weeks ago this was going to be done today. Yeah. Now you tell him there's another two week work to do. <laughs> yeah, it's infuriating. Right. Yeah. Not very authentic either. No. 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 So what else would you be thinking about in terms of values, Scott? It's a really good question. I mean, I think we've hit on a lot of them. It's kind of endless in a lot of ways. I just think finding people who you respect and value and you want to be around and you look up to a bit and partnering with them, I think is, is never a bad thing. I think the human resources part of the organization is really key in this as well. Their talent and their insight to help drive values forward in the organization is key. But you also need your, you know, your owners and, and your leaders to walk it because otherwise the employee and its employees and the team don't don't follow. But I also think it's it's also outside, you know, how do you live your life, right? I mean, I think in America in particular, it's all work, work, work. And you know, when you meet somebody, it's immediately, what do you do for work? Well, I think you need to have a more well-rounded lifestyle and like not just be all defined just about your work, right? It needs to be about like, what else are you interested in? And companies need to allow people to, to spend time with their families and pursue other interests, whether it be helping out a nonprofit or just going on a trip to to see the world or to find something else they're interested in, have that time to do it. I think one of the things the pandemic has done is by eliminating commute times is people have had extra time to figure out where else they're interested in. So, I mean, for me, I want to see people have that time, not just be chained to their desk 12 hours a day. So I think that's another value, I guess, is making sure people have a life. and. Yeah. Uh, that's certainly something that I would hold very true as a value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, separating work and downtime is a critical area. Um, do you say the pandemic has helped us to some extent taking the commute out of the way? But once you're working at home, how do you go about separating work and leisure time? That's yeah, you got me there. I find yeah. gets increasingly yeah. blurred. Yeah, you got me there. You know, yeah. like currently I'm home and. When I'm in in the kitchen, I can see my my screen, and so yeah. I'm still like, oh, I'll just yeah. go go over and take care of that, you know. Not not really present for my family, you know. So you got me on that one. I don't know. I think it's it's really being having the willpower to be like, okay, I am I'm working now, and then I'm done. Yeah, and I need to need to be present, right? Yeah, and that, it, it's not easy. That is a real, real challenge to do that. It is, especially when you're passionate about what you're doing. You know, I feel a lot of the people in CFO roles are can be like the owners where they, they take on that. This is this organization is, is me and, and 
Mm. Always thinking about ways to improve the organization, always thinking about ways to help people out or help your customers out or partner, find another partner on the vendor side. So you're constantly in it, right? You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm not really walking the walk because here I am trying to partner with Growth CFO, which is an extension of my career, right? But I'm passionate about it and, and want to help you guys and really look forward to partnering with you guys because you guys are such a wonderful organization. But is it blurring the line of work, right? Because yeah. now I'm a CFO by day and then now I'm a CFO by night. But fortunately, though, I'm very, the interests I have outside of work, I'm very passionate about as well. And so I, you know, if I don't do them, then I'm not successful being a CFO yeah. or a leader. And to me, that sort of thing is, is one of those reasons why I don't think I ever see myself retiring because there's always something to give back. That's a great point. I want to retire. My wife says there's no way I could. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't just sit still. You no. Know? It's really difficult. I see so many opportunities for, people like us to help out and so why not why not get back where we can absolutely absolutely yeah. so scott from a point of view of of mentoring what would you feel your strengths would be to to mentor an up-and-coming cfo so I've, I've done some mentoring in the past clunky i would argue i could do it better but it's always started from a, me seeing something in someone that they didn't see in themselves yeah. And then really just sitting down with them and being like, hey, what do you want out of your career? And oh, you know, I just want to go on this path. I'm like, no, no, no. Okay, well, think bigger, you know, because this is what I see in you. And it's it's really fun to see how they react to that. Because when you tell somebody, no, no, there's greater things for you, if you just start to believe in yourself a little bit and show them how that is, it's really exciting. And I know that's kind of vague, but I mean, that's the really, for me, that's the first step of the mentoring process for me. And then from there, it's like, if they want to be a CFO, it's like, let's go back to the beginning of the conversation. I'd be like, well, start talking to all all of these other people in the organization. And these are the kind of conversations that you want to have. And this is how you want to approach them. But it really starts with getting them to believe in themselves. And I will often say, I just want you to believe in yourself the way i believe in you yeah and our experience as well is that talking to first-time cfos one of the things that we hear back from them most often is you could put it down as lack of confidence or imposter syndrome Mm. and yeah quite often that's they shouldn't have a problem with that because they have the ability or they wouldn't have got the job in the first place right yeah and like you and i were talking about earlier it's like you know i listened to one of your earlier podcasts with um was it jeremy foster right yeah that dude is smart right mm-hmm. and i told you that you know even somebody like me who's supremely confident <laughs> walked away from that being like oh wow i'm not in that guy's league but it's it's realizing where is your expertise right and when we're talking about small businesses, that's my expertise. And so I feel really comfortable and confident in there. So it's just trying to help people find where they're most comfortable, where they're most talented, and where they can most add value. Because we all have it. 
Um, yeah. It's incumbent upon people like ourselves to, to help people figure that out. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many, you know, not to keep bringing it back to drugs to grow CFO, but there's so many things about your organization that really helped me just in the short time that I've, we've been talking. It's you guys have really articulated a lot of the values and the competencies that I've struggled to articulate over my career. And I think you guys do that really well. Mm. And that's why I'm excited to be um, part of your team and, you know, and to be a, a premium member and just looking forward to doing more with you guys. Cause you're so, you're such a good group, you know, so, Scott flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if people are listening and they want to figure out how to get ahead of life, I think I just gave a course on how to do that, eh? Yeah, quite lightly. Yeah. That has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for being this week's guest on the Gross CFO Show. Pleasure has been all mine, Kevin. It's really, it really has. Thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm.